Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are in point number one of our worksheet entitled Important Prophecy Terms Compared and Contrasted. And we have seven different sets of terms that we want to look at, and we're doing this in preparation for launching into our next big teaching series and uh, has to do with the 30 yet-to-be-fulfilled prophetic events in the Bible that basically go from today, and again, today is not a prophetic event, although there are some people out there, uh, literally, uh, during this particular time frame who are saying, uh, we must be in the first part of the tribulation prophesied in the Bible because we see these fla- these terrible plagues and viruses that are happening on the earth on a global basis. We see the wars, we see the earthquakes and the tornadoes and all those things that are listed there in, uh, for instance, in Revelation chapter 6. And we want to show from a biblical uh, analysis that it, that is not true that the best we can say today is that we are experiencing types and shadows. In other words, we're putting uh, pieces of furniture on the stage, but we're waiting for the curtain to go up. The curtain has not gone up yet, and that will be the curtain that uh, is initiated by the rapture of the church to get us off the earth because God's going to turn his attention back to the Israelites and therefore the whole earth, because its attention on the Israelites and the rest of the earth will be basically judged for how they treated the Israelites. So it all has to do with Israel. And that, of course, is not something that's talked about today um, from a biblical, uh, strict, literal biblical perspective, because more and more we're being taught that Israel has no significance in the Bible, that it may have thousands of years ago, but because they crucified the Messiah— God has annulled all of his, his uh, promises to Israel, <clears throat> and if he hasn't annulled them, according to some doctrines out there, then those, those promises were transferred to the church. And, and there's nothing in the Bible to support that from a literal study, and I pray that uh, we have gotten that point across in our first teaching series entitled, Why Study Bible Prophecy? Why Explore the Bible to Understand That? And then as we go forward, we'll look at those in some detail as we look at the next 30 prophetic events. But I I felt it important to go over these uh, seven sets of prophecy terms to help us better understand so that as we go through those sequence of events, you can see when we say that's the Son of God or that's the Son of Man, you understand the difference, for instance, of what we're talking about, where the day of Christ versus the day of the Lord or the gospel of the kingdom versus the gospel of grace, or what's the difference between the Olivet Discourse and the Upper Room Discourse? 
So um, hopefully these things will become much, much more clear, and you can easily uh, reference those either uh, through your own notes or using the uh, the worksheet available here at whcbradio.org. So we, uh, we're in point number one. We're exploring the Son of God, and we have taken the time to show that uh, there are different groups the Bible calls the sons of God, but we're talking specifically about Jesus, and we're developing the whole point about why Jesus had to come to the earth. Why didn't God do this all himself? And we uh, started out in Exodus 20 making that point, and Exodus 20 was part of the wedding ceremony where God wed himself to Israel. So yes, when you are disparaging Israel, you are disparaging God's wife. So hopefully (laughs) that one piece of information, and it's biblically supported, um, uh, and we see it here in Exodus 19 and 20 as well as other places, he refers to himself as the husband of Israel. Uh, And he means that as a husband. It's not some figurative term like I'm really close to you and we're buddies. No, he he wed himself, and the wedding ceremony is listed in Exodus 19 and carried on into Exodus 20 because one of the major gifts that God gave his bride, his wife, was the Ten Commandments. He, uh, He gave those to a redeemed nation for sanctification. He didn't give them the Ten Commandments, so that they could be redeemed. It's, it's, not a, it's not a redemption type thing. They are already redeemed. God has purified them, made him his wife, and he is giving them the Ten Commandments so that they can become more and more righteous, and that's the sanctification process. So that was the major gift to Israel, and of course it's a gift to the world with the exception of the, um, uh, the Sabbath, which is only to Israel. And in fact, when you see the Ten Commandments listed in the New Testament, you don't there are nine commandments. You don't see the Sabbath. But that's another teaching for another day. Um, we were making the point in the wedding that when God came down and spoke, he did it through thunder when Israel came together. Obviously, he was talking to Moses uh, face-to-face, if you will, although we never saw his face, but we can. it's that kind of intimacy in communication when he spoke to Moses and received the uh, the Ten Commandments and all the different guidance, uh, aspects of guidance for Israel. And it was uh, God who told Moses, I want you to purify the people of Israel because I'm going to wed myself to them, uh, as we learned in Exodus um, 19. And when he came down and he thundered and lightning and the fire and the smoke and the clouds, And as we talked about in our last program, it scared the living daylights out of the Israelites. So it takes us to our passage, our verse uh, passage here in our uh, worksheet at point number one under Son of God, where we go to Exodus chapter 20, and we went to verses 19 and 20, and it says in verse 19, then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So God, um, in effect, made his point. He came down in such a um, 
demonstrative way that the Israelites were shaken to their boots and therefore had this reverential respect. It's called fear of him, this reverential awe of who God is to the point where they said, we don't want God to talk to us directly or we'll die. So Moses said, okay, I will speak to you on on his behalf. So there's where we have this intermediary uh, that comes um, comes to the Israelites on behalf of God, and that's Moses. And then we want to, to um, move on into the book of Deuteronomy. Again, we're staying with the five books that Moses wrote, Exodus um, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Then we have Numbers, and then we have Deuteronomy. And I want us to go to Deuteronomy 18, and I, I kind of gave you that as a uh, tip for uh, study uh, between our last program and today. Maybe you've taken a look at it and you're already ahead of me here and you see where we're going. But we want to make the point here that this is the great prophecy that uh, Moses made about Jesus. And it's interesting because I've also heard, uh, I shouldn't say heard, I've read uh, Muslim um, writings where they believe that Muhammad. <laughs> Mohammed is the prophet being talked about here, but we know from an absolute fact that it's not Mohammed, that it is Jesus that's being talked about. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, and I want us to look at verses 15 through 17, as you see in our our handout. Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting at verse 15, it says, The Lord your God, and this is Moses talking, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly, the day that they were married to God, saying, as we read in Exodus 20, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. Verse 17, the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And of course you ask, what is the it at the end there? I myself will require it of him. Well, it's answered up there at the very end of verse 16, or I will die. In other words, he's saying, Listen to this person that I'm going to send to you because I'm going to put my words in his mouth because he's going to speak in my name. And if you do not listen to him, you will die. And when he says die, he's talking about an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. So this is all the way back 1,400 years before Christ. So that's 3,400 years ago. Moses through the leading of the Holy Spirit, prophesied Jesus Christ to us right here. 
And the reason for Jesus Christ as the reason for Moses was to be a representative to man because God was was so intimidating to the people that they could not stand it and they were fearful of God. And again, this is because of our fallen nature. Obviously, we will be in the presence of God in our glorified bodies, and it's going to be a very positive experience, not a fearful thing. But in our fallen state, in our carnal bodies, uh, it's a situation where God cannot present himself. Well, first of all, we're sinful. God is not going to be in the presence of sinful people. Uh, It's only when we're purified, and that is uh, the church is going to see him at the rapture in our purified bodies, but the earth is not going to be that way until the end of Revelation 22 in what is called eternity. And when the whole earth is sinless, without sin, then God will come back down, as we're told in Revelation, I believe it's 21, uh, when the new Jerusalem comes back down to the earth, and we're told in that Revelation passage that God and the Lamb, Jesus, are in the new Jerusalem. So the God of heaven, who walked on the earth with Adam and Eve in Genesis in their pure, sinless state, will once again come back down to the earth and be among men because there will be no sin. So that's a wonderful thing that uh, we have yet to look forward to, and I look forward to talking about it when we get into those 30 yet-to-be-fulfilled prophetic events that will be in our next, next teaching series. But the whole thing started way back here, as we found in Exodus and then in Deuteronomy, both books by Moses, where Jesus is introduced to us as being the representative of God. And as he says again in Deuteronomy 18, verse 19, it shall come about, and this is God speaking, that whoever will not listen to my words, which he will speak in my name, I will require it of him. So what I'd like to do now is to show the New Testament fulfillment, the New Testament fulfillment of this prophecy. So we go from this point in time, 1,400 years or 1,430 years, if you will, into the future, and I want to take us to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and it's it's chronicled uh, elsewhere in the Gospels, but I want to go to Matthew as the example that we'll use uh, in today's program. And in Matthew chapter 17, and this follows Matthew 16, which is a uh, an amazing passage where Jesus is basically asking the apostles uh, who have come back in from spreading the gospel of the kingdom, telling the people about the gospel of kingdom, the fact that Jesus is here, he's the king, he's ready to set up his kingdom on the earth right now. This is 2,000 years ago. He'd set it up right then if they would accept him as the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the promised Son of God. And he asks them when they come back in Matthew 16, starting around verse 13, you don't need to go there, it's not in our lesson, Uh, worksheet, but just by way of context, he's asking the apostles, having come back into him, he says, who do the people say that I am? And they reply, well, they think that you're, you know, so-and-so or so-and-so, but you're not the son of God. You're not the promised Messiah. But then he looks at the apostles and says, who do you say that I am? 
And this is when Peter makes his great profession. He says, you are the Christ. And this is Deuter- this is Matthew 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Israel saw Jesus as the son of man, but the apostles, with Peter being their spokesman, said, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus replies back and says, Peter, based on your profession, I'm going to build my church, and it'll be built by people who make that profession, that I am the son of God, that I am the promised son of God. So that's the backdrop here. And he basically says in in Matthew 16, starting at verse 21, he completely changes his ministry focus at that point in time in Matthew 16, verse 21. Um, He goes from offering the gospel of the kingdom. I'm the king. I'm here. I'm ready to set up my kingdom. If you, Israel, will simply accept me. They refuse him. So he takes back the promise of the kingdom and holds it for a period of time, which is now 2,000 years, and I believe it's going to be offered again very soon at the end of the tribulation. But in the meantime, he changes to the gospel of grace, the gospel of personal salvation. Before, it was going to be national, Israel national salvation. They would accept him as the king. But now it's going to be personal salvation, and it's going to be offered to what will be Uh, in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus goes back to heaven, will be offered to the church. So this is a big shift. So the disciples, if you can imagine, are are in kind of an emotional, uh, for lack of a better term, they're in an emotional funk right now. Oh my goodness, Jesus is here. We recognize him as our king. He's ready to set up his kingdom, but it's not going to happen because our fellow countrymen won't won't recognize him. As a matter of fact, they're going to kill him, and he just told us. He told us in in, um, Matthew 16, verse 21, when he changed his ministry focus. That's the first time where he tells the apostles, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Well, they didn't understand that. All they heard, and of course, it's very clear they didn't understand it because it says so several times that they didn't understand what Jesus was telling him, but he was basically saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go back to heaven for a period of time. And, of course, Acts verifies that, that he has to go back to heaven for a period of time and then come back when they recognize him. But they're in a funk. So Jesus, I think it's a, just a wonderful thing, he takes Peter, James, and John, and now I'm in Matthew 17, He takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, he is transformed into the image of what Jesus is going to look like when he comes back at his second coming. And on either side of him, you find Moses and you find Elijah, two of the greatest personages of the Old Testament. And God does this for a reason. So we go to Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. And it said, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
Those are the words that Moses used through the leading of the Holy Spirit 1,400 and something years before in Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting at verse 15, stating this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a prophet, listen to him. And he's making the point that that prophet is not Moses, that prophet is not Elijah, it is my son, Jesus Christ, that is my prophet. Listen to him. So he's making that very key prophetic point. And we'll pick up a development of Jesus as the Son of God, Son of Man, from this point going forward in Philippians chapter 2, and we'll do that in our next program. But we want to transition over now to our question and answer time and try to finish up answering a question from a person, a listener in Abington, wanting to know where Israel is taken to hide from Satan in Revelation 12, verse 14. And we've developed the whole point that it's the second half of tribulation where Israel needs to be miraculously protected from Satan because Satan has, at the midpoint of tribulation, indwelt the, whole, uh, indwelt the Antichrist who has been protecting Israel for the first half. We learned that from the prophetic passage in Daniel 9 and specifically uh, verse 27 where there's a covenant of peace between the Antichrist and Israel, and he breaks it at the midpoint. He's indwelt at that point by, the, by Satan, and it's the purpose of Satan to destroy Israel. And if he can destroy Israel and destroy all the Israelites, Jesus, the promised Messiah, the one who was prophesied in Genesis 3.15, would come back and kill Satan and take the earth back from him, if, if Satan can destroy Israel, Jesus will not come back. He will not take back the earth because he promised Israel in Matthew 23, verse 39, I will not come back. You will not see me again, Israel, unless you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, of course, we know from the Scriptures that they do do that at the end of the tribulation, and that's why Jesus comes back, and that's why Jesus ultimately destroys Satan. So our side wins. (laughs) And we had um, looked at scriptures. We were in Psalms, uh, the book of Psalms, and we saw over and over again in Psalms where the references uh, to God being a fortress and being uh, the rock talking about cliffs and being a refuge for the Israelites and so forth. And that is actually the meaning of the word selah, which is a biblical term used to describe Edom and specifically the area of a town called Petra in Jordan, located to the south and to the east across the Jordan River in Jordan. And I've, I've visited there a couple of times I've taken my family there. It's in a miraculous place to see. And you can appreciate how the Jordanians, because of all the Christian tourists, have built up the hotels and the restaurants and the shops in this mountainous, arid area. So it's kind of like an oasis in a wasteland, so to speak. And it's being prepared by people who do not recognize God, who do not recognize Jesus but it's being built by them through the leading of God to prepare it for the Israelites. And we talked last time about another precedent 
for why the Israelites would do something like this and go to a town like Petra. And that happened 2,000 years ago at the time of Christ, where it tells us, uh, and it's in the book of Luke specifically, he tells the Israelites living at the time of Jesus that when you see the armies, and he's referring to the Romans, although they weren't mentioned because it was still yet you know, almost 40 years in the future, this being around 30-something A.D., uh, and the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D., we know that historically, that Christ told the, the Jewish believers, when you see these armies besieging Jerusalem, get out of town as quick as you can, and they as a group escaped in the same basic direction that we believe the Israelites of the tribulation will go, only they went north in Jordan instead of south to Petra. They went to another place called Pella. So there's biblical as well as extra-biblical evidence that this took place. And the verbiage to tell those Jews 2,000 years ago to get out of Jerusalem and go hide, uh, it's the same verbiage used uh, in other passages in the uh, Gospels to describe what will happen in the tribulation. So we have that as another um, tangential, if you will, piece of evidence that Petra is likely going to be um, the place that the Israelites are going to go to be miraculously protected by God as the armies of the Antichrist sweep over the land of Israel in the second half of the tribulation. And this, this of course, leads up to the battle of Armageddon. So let's let's finish this up by looking at Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 26. And Isaiah, of course, is the big prophetic book uh, in the middle of the Old Testament. And we want to go to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26. And in Isaiah 26, it's prophesied in verses 20 and 21. And this is God talking to Israel. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. So this is clearly talking about the tribulation period where he's going to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And he's telling them to enter your rooms, close your doors for a while while my indignation runs its course. And when you read this, it makes you think right back to Exodus chapter 12. And that's like verses 21 to 23, where it's talking about the Passover when the Israelites were getting ready to leave Egypt, he was he told them, go into your homes, close your doors while the indignation passes over, while the death angel passes over. So an amazing comparison there of God hiding his people in the wilderness in the second half of tribulation so that Satan cannot fulfill his desire of destroying all the Israelites on the earth. And we believe, although it's not for sure, we believe that will be in the Jordanian town of Petra. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. 
Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.